One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 284 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, August 24, 2020, people. I hope everybody had a great weekend. I hope everybody is having a great Monday so far. I gotta say it is great to have sports back. I am recording here right after that Luka Doncic buzzer beating three-pointer. Incredible NBA game. The NBA has been fun. Major League Baseball has been fun. NFL teams are in training camp. And I'll tell you this, College football in the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 appears to be pressing on. So it was a great weekend for college football, but another disastrous weekend for the Big Ten, and that is where I will lead off this show. So here is the rundown for today's show. Um, First off, we're going to open with the latest from the Big Ten, another scathing article, this one from the Omaha World Herald. I shared it on my social media, my Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, and basically essentially what it says is this, is that the Big Ten presidents made their decision to cancel football, check this out, without talking to a single athletic administrator, without talking to a single medical professional. It is what I have been telling you from the beginning. They made the decision and figured out that they would just figure out the details later. So we will talk about that, how the Big Ten continues to be dragged through the mud, how I think this is a crippling decision. I'm not going to get off this topic. It is a crippling decision that I think is going to uh, put the Big Ten behind the eight ball for years and years and years to come. And so we are going to break down that article and why it is so important to this story. We will also transition to a little bit of college hoops, okay? So some recruiting news in college hoops. Paolo Banchero, the guy that I believe to be the top high school basketball player in the country, in America, he actually committed to Duke. And I'm not going to get into too many details on on what I'm going to talk about later, but what I can tell you is I talked to Paolo probably about six weeks ago, and I think I have some info on him that maybe nobody else has anywhere else. So I will break that down, explain why I'm feeling bad for Kentucky and Tennessee fans, because I think that under normal circumstances, they would have had a real shot with this kid. And then, oh, by the way, I'll talk a little bit about the new kid that committed to Kentucky, what it means for them. And we do have a lot of Kentucky fans who listen to the show. And I will tell you what I believe is happening behind the scenes in recruiting for Kentucky. As John Calipari likes to say, Kentucky always eats. And so they will get their guys. I will explain how I think they're going to do that and why I think it's going to be different than most years. Following me, as promised, my buddy John Frisella, uh, for people who do not know him, he is a young gamble, uh, not gambling, excuse me. He's a fantasy sports guru, okay? He's a guy that I've known for a really long time. I really respect. And honestly, I'm not a huge fantasy football guy, but I know many of you are. I know many of you males and females who listen to this show do play fantasy football. So I will have him on. I will have him on to break down the season because as I said, we are insanely about two weeks away from the start of the NFL season. I cannot believe that we're almost there. This was supposed to be week two of the preseason as we speak. And so it's surreal how quickly everything's coming. So big show today, fun show today, Big Ten, College Hoops, and John Frisella, the gambling, or I keep saying gambling, 
the Fantasy Football Insider will be on to answer your questions. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. We actually did get a new rating earlier this week, uh, basically saying, Torres, you do a great show, but too much yapping at the top. Get right to the good stuff. And while normally I would love to, it is important for you guys to know that we have new people learning about this show every single day, every single week. The numbers are through the roof. We are on pace to set a downloads record for the third time in four months. And so I just want people who are new to the show, How do I get it? Where do I get more? Where do I find you? This is why I do this at the top of the show. So make sure to rate and review the show. It helps us move up the iTunes charts. If you're not already subscribed, uh, make sure to do so. And also, social media, Twitter, Aaron underscore Torres. Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. And how about this for a new one? On Friday, some of you saw this, but your boy AT signed up for Cameo, okay? For people who don't know what Cameo is, it allows me to send you a personalized message, send a friend a personalized message, whatever. So the people at Cameo have seen what this show has done over the last couple months. They like who I am. They like the energy and personality that I have, and they know what kind of draw that I have with this show. So... If you're looking for a Christmas gift, a birthday gift, a wedding anniversary gift, and you know your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister likes this show, hit me up on Cameo, very affordable, and I will send a personalized uh, message to whomever you want, as long as it's appropriate, make sure it's appropriate, but I am on Cameo, you can find me there for details, if you have any questions, go ahead and hit me up personally, happy to do it, but your boy is on Cameo, so come find AT on Cameo, like I said, mothers, fathers, daughters, brothers, sisters, whatever, we have a lot of uh, fathers and sons who listen to the show together, things like that, friends that listen, so if you need me to send a personalized message. Never be afraid to reach out on Cameo. And with that said, there is no more time to waste, people. Let's get right into the big story. And the big story continues to be as the Big Ten turns. First of all, I will say I think it is continuing to be a great couple weeks for the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12. All three of those conferences continue to push on All three of those conferences continue to push out the negative headlines, stereotypes, storylines, whatever, and they're just saying, we're playing football, baby, and I thought it was a really important week last week. I talked about it when UNC, the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, they have closed down the campus to regular students, and Mac Brown actually came out there, head football coach, and said, this is actually the best thing for our football team. This is the thing that will keep it safest, and so I give the leaders in those conferences so much credit because they have blocked out the noise, they have blocked out the negativity, and they said, we're playing football. We are planning on playing football. Things could still change. The ACC and Big 12 kick off about two weeks from this Saturday on September 12th, and then the SEC is actually two full weeks after that on September 26th. So things could still change, but I give so much credit to the powers that be in those conferences that they have said, you know what? 
We're not paying attention to the Big Ten. We're not paying attention to the Pac-12. We're not going to compare ourselves to the MAC or to the Mountain West or to UConn or to UMass. Those programs cannot pay for testing like we can. They cannot keep their players safe like we can. And so because of it, these three conferences have moved on and are moving in the direction of football in a couple weeks. Then there is the other side of the coin, <laughs> and that side of the coin has the big uh, uh, embarrassing face of Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ted. And I feel bad. I've never met Kevin Warren. I'm sure he's a great guy. I know he has a son who plays football at Mississippi State. We got some Mississippi State fans who listen to this show. I'm sure he's a great guy. But this guy has botched this thing one after another after another. We had the player protests uh, last week where Justin Fields was going on GMA. We had the parent protests on Friday. I actually talked to Randy Wade, the father of Sean Wade, who is leading that. I talked to him on the phone. He is adamant. They are not slowing down. They are not stopping. I'm trying to get Randy Wade onto this podcast, by the way, to explain why it's so important to keep doing what they're doing. But as I said... The reason I want to talk about the Big Ten today is because another crippling, embarrassing article came out that just paints the Big Ten as a colossal screw-up, as a colossal cluster you-know-what, and it is just so clear that the people in charge of that conference had no idea what they were doing and no idea, frankly, the ramifications of the decision that they made. And so let me explain what happened. I shared this article on my Twitter page, at Aaron underscore Torres. But the Omaha World Herald, who is the biggest newspaper in Nebraska, they obviously cover the Nebraska Cornhuskers really, really well and really, really in-depth. They interviewed the Nebraska AD Bill Moose. Bill Moose is in charge of the entire Nebraska Athletic Department, and I give him credit. He went on the record. He put his name behind these quotes. Unlike all those anonymously sourced articles that you read from Pete Thamel and Pat Forty and Dan Wolkin, well, guess what? Bill Moose, the AD at Nebraska, went on the record and said, I can tell you exactly what happened. Let me tell you what happened because I was talking to my school president all along and my school president who, if you remember, Nebraska and Iowa were the two that from the very beginning said we want to play football. His president was passing along information to him and it became very clear to him very early that the Big Ten was going to press on and probably cancel the season before they even had a chance to start. And so what this Omaha World Herald article basically said was very simply this, is that throughout this whole process, there was very little communication between the, the people that needed to be in contact with each other to make a decision of this magnitude. Essentially what this article said was very simply this. The presidents did not have communication with the athletic directors before they made this decision. The presidents, how about this, did not have communication with the medical people before they made this decision. So let me, let me backtrack. The school presidents, the people who run these universities, had no contact with anyone from athletics, so no ADs, no coaches, no players, no parents. They also had no contact with anyone from the medical side of things and instead relied on getting all their information from Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten. And so this is how we ended up in this situation. If there is one thing that explains how we ended up in this situation, there is one way to describe it. It is a colossal lack of communication. 
It is a colossal lack of communication. And what I will say is, before I go on to crush Kevin Warren, I will actually slightly defend him because I do feel bad the circumstance that he was put in. For people who do not know, he is the new commissioner of the Big Ten. He took over January 1st, and this article paints a good picture of the fact that he basically was thrown into a crisis the, the likes of which he could have never imagined. He takes over January 1st. He has this ambition to, to visit all 14 campuses, get to know the school presidents, get to know the coaches, get to know the ADs, and all of a sudden, first week of March, we have a pandemic that shuts down the entire world, okay? And so he doesn't have the opportunity to communicate with the people that he needs to. He doesn't have a chance to build relationships and get to know the people that he needs to. And he is put in a situation where he is behind the eight ball. That does not excuse what happened going forward, though, where again, in case you missed it, the Big Ten school presidents decided to cancel this season without having any communication with anyone in athletics besides Kevin Warren. So in other words, when they made this decision, and Kevin Warren did say last week that there was an actual vote, there were no coaches that were speaking directly to the athletic, uh, the, the school presence. There were no ADs. There are some very powerful ADs in the Big Ten. Gene Smith is one of the most powerful men in college athletics. Did not have a say. For people who do not know, Gene Smith is the athletic director at Ohio State. Ward Manuel, who came to the University of Michigan from my alma mater, UConn, is one of the most well-respected people in college athletics. He is the, pre, uh, the AD of the University of Michigan. He did not have a say. Bill Moose from the University of Nebraska did not have a say, and on and on and on and on and on. And so the Big Ten made this decision without consulting anyone from athletics and anyone from the medical side of things. And really what this boils down to is exactly what I have told you all along. Listen, I know that sometimes I get arrogant. I know it's, oh, Torres, you talk about yourself too much. Well, what I can tell you definitively is everything that I have been telling you for the last two, three, four weeks is exactly what happened, okay? It's ex it went down exactly the way I told you. I didn't need to talk to a million anonymous sources. I didn't need to write a, a million articles with you know citing a million anonymous sources. But what I told you happened is that the school presidents made this decision. They came to this decision without any real background knowledge and without any real background thought going into it. They didn't consult anybody. They made this decision. They tried to sneak it in under everybody. They tried to strong arm the SEC, Big 12, and ACC to follow their lead. And they did so without consulting with the people that mattered. And they did so in a way where they figured, we're just going to put this out there. We're going to have some vague safety issue as an excuse. And we'll figure out the real reasons later, right? We will get to the answer first and then try to solve it backwards later, right? And that is exactly what happened. And I think they underestimated the public backlash. I think they underestimated how important college athletics is to their communities. And I'm telling you this, the players, parents, coaches are not done fighting. Now, I will say, again, I just defended Kevin Warren a minute ago. I will slowly but surely, and I don't want to do it, but I will defend the school presidents for half a second here. They are, in fact, school presidents. They are, in fact, in charge of major universities in major states. With They have a lot of responsibilities, essentially, okay? And their job, since everything shut down in March, was to figure out if it was safe to get students back to campus, and if so, how to do it. 
They have had a lot on their plates. To be honest, though, guess what? All of us have had a lot on their plates, so I'm not going to make excuses for them because we've all had a lot on our plates, whether we're running a business, whether we're working for somebody, whether we're working from home, whether we're a, a parent working from home with kids in the background and trying to be a parent and a babysitter, everybody, everybody has real responsibility. And I think what happened with these school presidents is they spent all spring, all summer trying to figure out all the little things uh, as far as what would happen when it was time to come back to campus. They looked at things like, how are we going to get students safely here? What happens if people get sick? What is the percentage where we're going to have to shut down campus? All of these little things. And they just figured they never really took the time to really think about college athletics. And I think what they thought they could do is they could get back here at the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall, and they could just punt athletics down the road. They could just very simply say, look, we're not going to play anything until January, and we'll figure out football and soccer and volleyball after we get regular students back to campus. Now, normally that would work, except, you know, Big Ten football is like a billion-dollar industry. And I think more than anything, what is disappointing about this is that the Big Ten, in making this decision, hey, we're just going to punt football down the road, we're not going to worry about it, we'll get to it later, they underestimated two very important things, and it's two just like insanely disappointing things. One, they never took the time to, to, to educate themselves, and that's the right word, educate themselves, on what the schools were actually doing to keep the, the, the players safe. And this has been my biggest frustration from the beginning. You guys listen to the show, you guys know is that you can say whatever you want about college athletics, but there has been so much time put into the safety of these players. It was incredible. For those of you who heard last episode with Archie Miller, it was insane to me the amount of time that Archie Miller discussed has gone into keeping just 12 basketball players safe. He referenced the fact that the whole team doesn't lift together. The whole team doesn't practice together. The whole coaching staff never meets together because, God forbid, what if one guy gets it, then all of a sudden you have contact tracing and the whole coaching staff can't be with the players. He talked about the way that they're having players live together to make sure there's not too many players living together. The starters are <laughs> living with the starters. The starters, aren't the starters aren't living with the starters. The starters are not lifting with the starters. And it is so clear that so much time has gone into this. So that's one. That's the first most disappointing thing about this Big Ten thing is the school presidents never took the time to learn about how seriously their own schools, their own employees, their own medical staffs, their own coaches were taking this, how seriously they were taking it and how well taken care of their athletes were. The second thing that is just absurd to me is that they did not realize just how big of a PR disaster this would be. And it goes back to what I just said a minute ago. I truly believe that all these school presidents really thought, you know what, we're just going to punt this down the road. We're going to be fine. It's not going to be a big deal. You know, I'm, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I hate to be a jerk, but it's like, I don't really care about sports. I'm an academic. And I don't think they had any idea how big of a story this would be. I don't think they had any idea how much they would upset the people that basically pay their salaries, right? At the end of the day, taxpayers pay their salaries, uh, donors pay their salaries, and donors are what keep the university going. And so I told you this weeks ago, and I know that it's true. The backlash to 
this decision was so catastrophic that I don't see how many of these school presidents keep their jobs, and I certainly don't see how Kevin Warren keeps his job. I know for a fact that there were many, many, many donors who have said to the school presidents at their respective schools, I won't name the schools, but I've talked to two, three, four donors that are like, dude, I ain't ever cutting you a check if you cancel football again this year. And I do think the school presidents at Michigan, at Ohio State, at these schools that did not fight for football, I think they're feeling the heat right now. I think they're stressed right now. I think they had no idea how big of a deal this was to the people that matter to the university, which again, are the taxpayers, the current students, and of course, the alumni who donate so much to, this, to, to these universities. I don't think they had any idea the backlash that it was going to create with the players, with the parents. I'll give these people credit as well, is that we've been saying for years, players have a voice. They have to use it. Parents have, like, like well, guess what? They're using it. And as I said a minute ago, I talked to Randy Wade, the father of Sean Wade at Ohio State, who organized these, play, uh, these peaceful protests among the parents. And when I talked to him, it was incredible because, and I am trying to get him on this podcast, but... It was incredible because he's like, dude, my son's going to be fine. My son had a first round grade, but there are a lot of kids that are in a really bad situation right now. I mean, imagine being a, a fifth year guy, 22 years old, battling for an opportunity to play in the NFL. And now you're not going to play. And so now do you wait to the spring and hope you have a good season? Do you have to come back for another full year when you plan on leaving after this year? What about the guys behind those guys on the depth chart? What if you're a redshirt sophomore, redshirt junior who figured, okay, this is my third year in the program. I got a guy ahead of me on the depth chart, but he's a senior. He's going pro. Now that guy can come back. So is there now a, a group of sophomores and juniors that thought they were going to get the chance to play next year that all of a sudden those guys have to consider, do I transfer? Do I stay? Do I hope this guy just goes pro and takes his shot at the pros? Like these are real life things that the Big Ten did and just screwed everything up so colossally. And this is why I will not get off the topic. And look, at some point, I'll actually start talking real college football. We'll get more college football guests on. We'll actually break down the season. We'll actually break down the games. We'll talk about my favorite bets, all the things that I do during college football season. But I cannot get off how idiotic this decision was, how it made no sense, and how every time a new article comes out, we learn stuff that we had never even known before. And the idea that these Big Ten presidents did not consult anybody in athletics or anybody in the medical profession is insane to me. It makes no sense to me. And so I am going to keep going in on the Big Ten because it is absurd. And as I said, lives have been ruined. Lives have been altered. The entire ethos of the community has been altered. And these are the things that I don't think these people understood. And I think that's an important part of this. I just talked about the impact on the players. I just talked about the fact that many of them now have to make a really tough decision. Do I stick around to the spring and hope there's a season? Do I try to transfer somewhere else and see if I can get eligible to play this year? Do I have to now come back and do another year because the guy that was ahead of me on the depth chart, I was thinking he was going to leave in December, but now he's coming back. Maybe he plays in the spring. Maybe he leaves, but maybe I have to play in the 
spring and the fall. Maybe I have to do an extra year in school that I wasn't planning. Maybe I have to transfer because the guy that's ahead of me on the depth chart is now going to come back for an extra year himself. So one, I feel terrible for the players. But two, you know who else I feel terrible for? And I've talked about this a lot. I feel bad for all the people that are affected by this decision that are nameless, faceless, and voiceless, okay? So like I said, these football players in the grand scheme of things, like it'll get figured out, right? Maybe football plays in the spring. Maybe they don't. Maybe these kids need an extra opportunity. But oh, by the way, we saw it at Iowa this week. You saw what happened at Iowa? You saw what happened at Iowa on Friday? Friday news dump tried to bury it so that nobody saw it? Well, guess what happened at Iowa? They cut four sports. Men swimming and diving, women swimming and diving, men's tennis, and men's gymnastics were all cut, okay? And these are the real-life ramifications of making these decisions. There are now probably 25, 30 people that are completely out of jobs because of the idiotic decision of these school presidents. There are now probably 100 athletes who thought they were going to have a chance to compete, who thought they were going to have a chance to play, who thought they were going to have the opportunity to com complete their education at the school that they committed to, that they've wanted to play at, and now they either have to quit the sport that they love or go somewhere else to continue to compete. And oh, by the way, that is assuming that other sports aren't cut other places and that there will actually be tennis scholarships, gymnastics scholarships, swimming scholarships at other schools. These are the real life ramifications. Iowa just cut four programs before they've ever missed a check from not playing football. Well, what happens if we get to the spring and there's no football then? What happens if we have to go until January, or fall of 2021? Think about the money that is going to be lost. We're talking $100 million. Meanwhile, you're not playing. The SEC, most of those teams are playing with 25% capacity. The catastrophe of this decision, I cannot stop speaking about it because it is so important because it affects so many people. As I said, think about those swimmers. Think about those tennis players. Also, Think about the high school tennis players. Think about the high school swimmers that have been fighting their whole lives, have been competing their whole lives for the opportunity to get a scholarship. Well, that's one less place they can get a scholarship, and there's going to be a lot of places like that if we don't get football back on the field and we don't start getting back to normal in college athletics. And for the thousandth time, I don't want anybody to be safe, unsafe, excuse me. If it is not safe to do it, we will find out in the coming days and weeks. If it is not safe to play football, the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are not going to put their guys out there to play. If it is not safe, that will not happen. But at the same time, we cannot live our lives in fear. And then on top of just the athletic department, I've said this before and I will continue to preach it, but the economy, the decisions that this has made and how it impacts the economy is unbelievable. I have referenced before the article that I read about the Nebraska bar owner in Lincoln, Nebraska, who basically said, those seven college football Saturdays in Lincoln pay my rent for the entire year, okay? I've referenced that article, but how about this? In the last week, somebody in a Big Ten town who works at a Big Ten, uh, who works at a restaurant in that town reached out to me. Listens to this show, shout out to you, you know who you are, I won't say your name, I don't want to put you on the spot, I won't even say the school. But I had somebody who, who works at a restaurant in Big Ten country reach out to me today, this week. And what he told me was this. He said, our restaurant caters two meals a week for the football team. Two meals a week makes our restaurant $8,000 a week. Without football, we just lost an 
$5,000 a week check. Now, this guy's not the owner. I don't know if in the long run the restaurant will be able to survive or not, but they just lost $8,000 a week. You do the math over 12 weeks, that's almost $100,000 that this restaurant was expecting to have that is gone because of college football, because of the Big Ten's decision not to play football this fall. And maybe the restaurant will survive. Maybe they'll figure out a way to get to January, and maybe the Big Ten really does play in January, and maybe the restaurant survives. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe that restaurant owner who's been working their whole life is now out of his or her livelihood. Maybe now the 40, 50, 60 people that they employed are now out of their livelihood, and those jobs are not going to come back because there's no economy, because the economy relies on the, the students on campus and the football team and the, the athletic department to help. This is a very delicate ecosystem. I've been telling you for weeks, there are real life ramifications to making these decisions. And for the biggest time and the last time, by the way, it didn't make sense the biggest time, but for the, <laughs> for the last time, I'm just gonna say it. There are real life ramifications here and again, Nobody wants kids not to be safe, and we're not going to play football if it's not safe. By the way, everyone keeps telling me, well, you know, if the SEC cancels, the Big Ten's going to look smart. No, it won't. The SEC is on a free roll right now because if the SEC decides to cancel, at least they pushed through and tried. They didn't quit when things got scary. They didn't quit without consulting medical people. Big Ten's fine. SEC's fine, excuse me. If they cancel, it will be because they know that there's no way to safely play. It will be because they've tried every single avenue to make it happen, and they simply can't. They will be forgiven by their fans. They will be forgiven by their fan bases. But the Big Ten, I'm telling you, I see it. I know for a fact that the Big Ten fans, some of them will never forgive the school presidents that have made this decision. I'm just telling you right now, this decision is crippling for these schools. This decision is crippling for these economies non-revenue sports like at Iowa, swimming and diving, tennis, golf, wrestling. Those sports are going to be cut. Restaurants, bars, whatever in the community are altered forever. I don't think these Big Ten presidents had any idea the ramifications of what they were going to do, and I'm telling you this is crippling. I'm telling you it's huge, and I'm telling you that it is unbelievable and inexcusable that they made the decision the way that they did without consulting the people that they needed to, and it was crystallized by this article that I referenced. Shout out to the Omaha World Herald for coming out with this article, which basically said no medical people were on the final call to make the decision. No athletics people were. It's despicable, and it's disgusting. All right, I do want to try and be a little bit positive here on the back end of this show, and as I mentioned, at some point, I will actually start talking about real college football because we got to focus on the three conferences that are actually playing. We got to focus on the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 and get excited that we're actually going to get football here in the coming weeks. So that will come up and I'll figure out a way to incorporate some football stuff and some preview stuff and maybe we'll do some over-under win totals or week one point spreads or whatever. We'll figure out a way to talk college football. But I do want to transition to basketball because as I said, Paolo Banchero who I believe to be the top high school player in America. He will be a senior this year, high school class of 2021, uh, made what was really kind of a surprising decision late last week. 
he was a kid who had, there was no inclination that he was close to committing. He's a kid that I talked to about six, seven, eight weeks ago, and he told me that he actually planned on pushing back his decision into next spring. Instead, he commits on Thursday and he commits to Duke. And I'm going to get into the ramifications and all that stuff for the teams that didn't get him, but I want to start by saying this. This kid's a monster. If you have not seen this kid, Paolo, P-A-O-L-O, Banchero, he is a monster, okay? About 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", crazy strong, crazy athletic. For people who do not know his background, his father was a football player on the Washington National Championship team in 1990. His mother was a basketball player at University of Washington. She is the school's all-time leading scorer. I believe she played in the WNBA. And so he kind of got the best of both worlds. He got the hoop skills from mom and the height from mom, and he got dad's kind of big, stocky football build where this guy is 6'9", 6'10". He is a monster physically and he can do all the things on the basketball court. I think he is, by, to me, he's by far the best high school player in the class of 2021. There's a kid named Patrick Baldwin who is projected ahead of him. I, I Listen, Patrick Baldwin's fine to me. I think Paolo Banchero is the player that you need to know from this class. And I do think that with his decision, along with the fact that Duke already has another top 10 committed kid for this class named A.J. Griffin, I hate to say it for all the non-Duke fans out there, <laughs> I think Duke's the team to beat in 2021-2022. Now, it's a long way away, and we'll see, but if you look at Duke, they have a big freshman class this year, and really outside of one kid named Jalen Johnson, none of them are really projected to be one and dones. and so what they could have is a big sophomore, junior, senior class to go with a loaded freshman class that includes Paolo Banchero, that includes A.J. Griffin, and that might include Patrick Baldwin. Patrick Baldwin, the player that some consider to be better than Paolo Banchero, um, is actually the son of the University of Milwaukee head coach. So the belief is the son will either play at University of Milwaukee or he'll play at Duke, although there are other schools that are fighting. But again, Paolo Banchero is the name to know here. He is just a monster, big, physical, athletic, strong, and he's just a kid that I, I listen, I'll tell you this right now. There was talk that he was going to reclassify into this class of 2020. I think he could step into college basketball next year, this coming year, and average 18 points and 10 boards. And so for him to not be playing college football, college basketball for another year, uh, like, like I try not to overhype these kids, but you guys know. I won't overhype a kid if, I, <laughs> if, I'm not, if I don't believe in him. But this is a kid that I think can be first-team All-American, national player of the year type good in his one year at Duke. I would not be surprised if he had stats similar to what Marvin Bagley did in his one year on campus. Now, what I will also say is that I feel bad. We have a lot of Tennessee fans that listen to the show. We have a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to the show. And I feel bad for both fan bases because as I said a minute ago, uh, I actually did talk to Paolo Banchero probably about six, seven, eight weeks ago. And at the time, what he told me was that he was actually planning on, not only was he not going to commit early, but the plan had been at, at one point he was going to commit in the fall. And when I spoke with him, he actually told me that he was planning on pushing back to the spring because he wanted to take all his visits for a second time. Last year, he visited Duke. He visited Kentucky. He visited Tennessee. He visited Gonzaga. Um, he visited Washington, where obviously both his parents went. And he was uh, also had Arizona on his list, and so he wanted to do another round of visits to see what schools that he actually thought fit him best. 
And so I feel bad for Kentucky and I feel bad for Tennessee for this reason. Both of those teams were believed to be at one point a favorite for this kid, Paolo Banchero. Kentucky was believed to be the favorite because they're Kentucky. They're really good. Great program, ton of NBA players, which you're obviously seeing in the bubble where Tyler Hero's balling out and Jamal Murray's balling out and Bam Adebayo's balling out. But then also Tennessee was in the mix because, as I mentioned last week, Kennedy Chandler, the top point guard in high school basketball, committed to Tennessee. And there was a belief that those two wanted to play together. And so I feel bad for those two programs because I do believe that this decision might have been different if Paolo Banchero had stuck to his plan and if he had actually visited all those schools a second time. Now, I don't blame the kid. By no means do I blame the kid because when he told me it was weird. It was kind of, I, w- I want to say I talked to him maybe late June, early July. Um, and when I talked to him, it was kind of that weird window where like everything was trending in the right direction, where we thought everything was going to go completely back to normal. Remember we had that two, three months where it was just everything was negative and then everything was going in the right direction mid, late June into July. And when, when I talked to him, it was at that time. And I think that he believed, because I know that I believed, that things would be back to normal by the fall, that he would be able to take all these visits a second time, and his plan was to push back to the spring. Well, unfortunately, as we know, the way the world is right now, you can't really visit all these college campuses, especially because, oh, by the way, a lot of them are shutting down. But I think if he had stuck to his plan, I think Tennessee could have stayed in the mix, I think Kentucky could have stayed in the mix, and potentially gotten his commitment. But what happened was, I think that he realized that he was in a situation where he was not going to be able to travel. He was not going to be able to get to these campuses. And if he did get to these campuses, he certainly would not be able to see them in the context of a college basketball game with 20,000 fans in the stands at Rupp Arena or 20,000 fans in the stands in Knoxville or a full house at Cameron Indoor Arena. And so I think he made the decision like, look, I think I got to make this decision based on what I know right now. And for that reason, I have committed to Duke. And so that's how I think he ended up at Duke. But I'm just telling you, man, this kid is so good. If you do not know him, go find some video of him on YouTube. I believe he was maybe, in my opinion, maybe the second best player, period, in high school basketball last year behind Cade Cunningham. If I had to start a team tomorrow outside of Cade Cunningham, I would have taken him over anybody in high school basketball last year. That includes Jalen Green. That includes Kaminga. All these guys that are now pros in the G League pathway. I would add, by the way, I did not get the sense from talking to him, and he did not explicitly tell me this, so please do not quote me as this is a final be-all from Torres because things change, but I did not get the sense from talking to him that he was going to consider that G League pathway program if it was offered to him. Um, He strikes me as the kind of person, and I think his family with both of his parents being athletes understand the value of college basketball, the value of playing in the NCAA tournament, the value of playing 30, 40 times on national TV. So this is just a hunch, but he does not strike me as a player who is going to seriously consider the G League Pathway program. Although again, things can change. A lot can certainly change if we can't get college basketball going this year. So who the heck really knows in the long term? All right. Last little thing that I do want to mention as it pertains to Paulo Banchero and really just college hoops in general is very simply this. When Paulo Banchero committed, a lot of you asked me, well, what does this mean for Kentucky, right? Kentucky is the recruiting juggernaut of all of college basketball. And as of Paulo Banchero's commitment, um, they had not had a single high school commitment for the class of 2021. 
And what I would say very simply is this. First of all, I know most of you know this, all of you, if not all of you know this, but Kentucky actually did get a commitment over the weekend from a point guard named Nolan Hickman. He's a guy that, that really, I think, is flying under the radar because of the fact that there is no AAU in high school basketball in the summertime. And it's because of that fact that I don't think he has been evaluated as closely as, as a lot of kids would. And he's one of those guys that I think could have and would have blown up had there been a normal summer of, of AAU basketball. And so I think Kentucky got a sleeper. I think they got a guy that's better than what his ranking would indicate. I know that some recruiting services have him ranked as high as like in the 30s, some as low as like the 70s. But what I will tell you is this. Say what you want about John Calipari. That man knows basketball talent. And I do think that so much of the focus is on the, the five-star guys that he gets, the B.J. Bostons, the De'Aaron Foxes, the Terrence Clarks, the Bam Adebayos. I don't think he gets enough credit for the guys that aren't ranked in the top 10 or the top 15 nationally who he turns into one-and-done lottery picks. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, top 40-ish, top 50-ish player coming out of high school. Everybody thought he was going to be a two-, three-, four, four-year college player. One and done, balling out for the OKC Thunder. Tyler Hero, committed to Wisconsin. We all know the deal. Top 30, top 40. We all think he's going to be a two, three, four-year college player. Boom, one and done, balling out for the Miami Heat. You could go on and on and on and on and on. And I do think Nolan Hickman kind of fits in that category of a kid that, because he's a point guard, I think it's a little bit different. But I think he's probably a little bit undervalued by the recruiting services. And if Kentucky wanted his commitment this early, it means to me that they believe that he is the type of player that can play there. But it also doesn't change the fact that at this point, Kentucky has just one player committed. And I've had a lot of people ask me, like, what is Kentucky doing with recruiting? Are we going to get this figured out? And what I would tell you very simply is this. One, and John Calipari we trust. But two, I just think it's a little bit of a different deal this year. And I think it's a different deal for two different reasons, and it's going to result in a different recruiting strategy for 2021. Well, three reasons, really. First off, the 2021 recruiting class just isn't that good. And it's no disrespect to the kids. They all work hard. They all do their best. But the class, you, you talk to people that cover recruiting, it's just kind of a down class. Now, Paolo Banchero's really good. Patrick Baldwin's really good. Max Christie, the kid that's committed to Michigan State, is really good. But there aren't a ton of those high-level, upper-end players like there have been in other classes, including, by the way, the class of 2020, which is a really loaded, really good high school recruiting class, okay? So I think Kentucky has been careful with who they're offering because of the fact that they just don't want to offer the wrong kids and they don't they haven't they don't know they don't think this class is as good as previous ones speaking of which John Calipari is a guy that likes to evaluate in person and so I think that's a big part of why Kentucky has been so liberal and so patient on the recruiting front he is a guy that likes to see kids in person he is a guy that grinds on the AAU circuit okay that's the thing, right? I think everyone thinks that Calipari is this closer and he comes in and he, he's got the ring and, you know, and, and he just comes in and closes when in reality, he's a guy that goes to these AAU events, he grinds, he likes watching kids, he likes learning about kids. And I think not being able to do that this year has made him even more careful to hand out scholarship offers than the opposite, which I think under normal circumstances, I think most coaches are just going to sit there and say, you know what? We just got to move forward. We just got to offer kids if we think they're the right fit, and we got to hope that we get it right. Whereas I think John Calipari is doing the exact opposite, 
which is I think he's saying rather than going all in on kids, I would rather wait and make sure we get the right kids rather than offering kids that I've never seen play in person, that my staff never seen play in person. And I think that is a big part of why Kentucky has been so liberal with handing out their their scholarship offers. I just don't think that Calipari likes handing out offers without seeing kids in person. And the way Kentucky recruits, many times they do not see kids until the beginning of their senior year, the end of their junior year in AAU basketball. There are other programs, you know, I look at my own alma mater, UConn, you know, because of the way UConn is, they have to establish relationships early. And so they're seeing kids as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, And then by the time this pandemic hit, they have two, three years of evaluation on the kid. They feel comfortable offering them. Same with Florida State, who has a really good recruiting class. Same with uh, USC out west. They're really good at getting in on kids early. And that's just not how Kentucky operates. So I think the fact that this recruiting class is not very top heavy, not very star driven is a factor. I think the fact that John Calipari just cannot get out and see these kids is making him nervous. And I think the reality is, I think what John Calipari is getting ready to do is I think he's getting ready for the reality that we may have a one-time transfer rule at this time next year and that there are going to be a lot of really good players in the transfer market. And I give John Calipari a ton of credit, and I've talked about it on this show, but he has evolved as a recruiter as the rules have changed, as the times have changed. He was once the one-and-done guy not long ago. Then all of a sudden, everybody got in on one-and-dones, and he starts going with other players. He starts going with guys that he believes are undervalued, like a Tyler Hero, like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And if a B.J. Boston's available, if a Terrence Clark is available, then you go out and get him. He's been more aggressive with the reclassifications the last couple years. Terrence Clark, Devin Askew, on and on and on and on and on. And I think right now what he is saying is, Uh, I had a ton of success with Reed Travis. Nate Sestina filled a very distinct role for me. And oh, by the way, I just got three transfers this offseason. And so rather than go chase after a high school kid that I've never seen, that I've never met in person, and that I really just don't know if he's the right fit, I'd rather take the guy that's played college basketball and I know that can compete at this level. And I hate to say it, but I think this is the reality of college basketball going forward. I always think there's going to be a premium on high school players. I always think there's going to be an interest in high school players. And I think as long as John Calipari believes he has a chance with really good high school players and that they're not considering the G League or overseas, I think he'll still pursue them. But I do think that this is the new reality is that a lot of programs are sitting there saying, you know, I can go take that 18-year-old kid, but I got to develop him. I got to get him in the weight room. I got to hope that he's okay living away from home for the first time. I got to deal with parents who have never seen him struggle or fail or be coached hard. I could deal with that, or I could go get a 21-year-old that played in the ACC, that played in the Pac-12, that played in the Big Ten. I can go get that kid, bring him to my campus. He's already lived away from home. He's already had the opportunity to get in a college weight room and a college weight program. He's played at the college level, and I know he can compete. And I do think that's the reality with college basketball going forward. I said this in a tweet a couple weeks ago, and I actually heard, shout out to Jack Pilgrim, Dave Sisk, and uh, Travis from the uh, Sources Say podcast, because I heard them reference this on their show, but I believe that we're in a situation where not too long from now, we're going to have major college basketball programs that don't even recruit high school players anymore. And what I mean by that is exactly what I just said, is the idea being that they're going to sit there and say like, 
dude, I can go get an 18-year-old, but I don't know what the heck I'm getting, but I can go get a 21-year-old who maybe doesn't have the long-term NBA upside, but I can bring him to my campus. I can get him ready. He's ready to compete. Maybe he's not quite as good as that freshman 10 years from now, but right now he can help me win. And so I do think that's the new reality. I do think that is what is going to happen. And like I said, I do think we're in a scenario where I think a lot of these college programs aren't even going to recruit high school kids. I can't tell you how many times this summer I've been watching film of a kid, film of a high school player, and I'll text a coach, I'll text a buddy, and I'll just say, you know, what's the deal with this kid? Like, like you, you guys going after him or he's right in your back your neighborhood. How come you haven't offered him? And I've had at least a half a dozen times a coach will tell me, the kid's good. Kid's all right. We like him. He's good enough to play for us, but we think we can get a better guy in the transfer market next year. Rather than offering him, we'll just go get a transfer. And so I think when that one-time transfer rule comes in, I think it's going to completely change the landscape of college basketball. I think we're going to be in a scenario where, as I said, a lot of programs don't even recruit high school players. They only recruit transfers. They only recruit older players. I just think that's where we're getting at, and I think it's why Kentucky has been so careful with handing out scholarships this year, because I just don't think that they like this high school class a ton, and they'd rather take their chance and try to find some freshmen, or try to find some transfers next spring to fill out their roster. All right, I've talked long enough. Um, That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, uh, and I appreciate you guys listening. As I've said many times, uh, this show continues to grow. The downloads have been through the roof, and I want to thank all you guys for doing so. I want to thank you guys for sharing with friends and family, um, and I want to thank you for, for making this show what it is, which is a really awesome, fun community, and I appreciate you guys. If you're not already subscribed, please make sure to do so iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give it a quick five stars. Follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And as I said, I am now on Cameo. I just posted the video on my Instagram page. If you want something for your brother, your sister, your buddy, I am here to deliver that personal message, okay? So like I said off the top, I know many of you uh, have friends who listen to this show. I know many fathers and sons listen to this show. So if your dad's having a birthday, if your son's having a birthday, and you want a personalized message from me, go to Cameo. It's uh, cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres, and I will be happy to send you a deliver, uh, personalized message. But that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. And now, as I mentioned, my buddy John Frisella is a fantasy football guru. He's going to take you through everything you need to know about this upcoming fantasy season, who to draft, who not to draft, who to stay away from, all that stuff. So make sure to listen to that. That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. May do a third episode again this week. We'll see what happens. But now, here is fantasy guru John Frisella. All right, joining me now uh, via Zoom, good friend of mine. Uh, as I told you guys off the top, I am not a huge fantasy football or, frankly, fantasy sports guy. Uh, but I know many of you are, and a guy that I respect his opinions a ton. I mentioned off the top of the show. His name is John Frisella. He hosts the John Frisella Show, which is a fantasy football podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Legend7Sports. John Frisella, my man, what's going on? AT, hey, what's going on, my man? Happy to be on the show. Good to see you, my friend. Um, happy to cover some fantasy football and uh, big night in the NBA as well, huh? Luka Doncic with a big three. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So first of all, I've wanted to have you on for like three weeks now, and the Big Ten just keeps being dumber and dumber and shooting itself in its foot. Uh, so I feel like I have to keep pushing off because of the, the college sports is absurd right now. But I will say, like, dude, it, you know, to use the Luca to kind of segue into what we're going to talk about, it's surreal how all the sports have come back and how, frankly, we're like, you know, two, two and a half weeks away from the NFL starting at this point. I, uh, you know, I host my radio show on Saturday nights. We were supposed to have Chargers uh, Rams last night during our show. Obviously, there's no preseason games. So it's just surreal how quickly NFL football and, frankly, college football as well are going to be here. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that it's all coming together at the same time. Obviously, we're leading into NFL. We got the NBA playoffs going on. NHL's going smooth. MLB's got a couple of teams that had COVID, but it's going pretty smooth. So hopefully it's uh, smooth sailing for the NFL as well as we get into the season. Um, and hopefully not a lot of COVID cases going around. All right, so let me, let me start kind of with what I just referenced. Um, you know, season is creeping on us. Many people maybe have already had their drafts, but for those who haven't, you know, I, what I was thinking about as we were talking, I, you know, I do all sorts of stuff, right? But, but I think everyone is adjusting to this new reality of how do you evaluate anything uh, with limited whatever because of COVID, right? With college football, it's going to be how do you figure out these teams that have new coaches or new coordinators that didn't get their spring football in? For the gambling perspective, how do you evaluate teams in a bubble? And for fantasy, I would just be curious. I mean, how much has it impacted you not to have um, training camp? Well, they have training camp, obviously, but not to have – uh, what do they call preseason games, all that stuff. I mean, how has it impacted your evaluation, what you do? Because like I said, it feels like every walk of sports is being impacted by this new normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the main aspect for us in the fantasy football world is the rookies, right? Uh, a lot of times we have hesitancy with running backs in fantasy, uh, especially in the first year out of the gate. You feel like maybe you get hyped up on the name and you invest a little bit too early in the rookies. And now you're working with a situation where how do you really know how comfortable they are with the playbook, right? With this, with this turnaround, this weird offseason. How do you know, and this is really key at the running back position, is how do you know they can pick up blocks? We all know about the talent, right? We know about Jonathan Taylor. We know about J.K. Dobbins. We know about Cam Akers. We know about CEH uh, with the Chiefs. But how do you know they're going to be able to actually play all around football and not just rack up a few stats here and there um, with this specific offseason and COVID. So that's definitely a problem. Same thing goes with wide receivers. What about timing issues, right? I always think of the old Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison combination. You know, those guys just did everything second nature. They had so many reps and so many times they went over the same things over and over. These rookies are working on nothing right now with this offseason. Um, so I, I don't know what the timing is going to be like for wide receivers and quarterbacks. I don't know what the targets are going to be like. So it's very difficult when we're evaluating the rookies especially in what we would call a redraft league where we're redrafting every year. Um, for dynasty leagues, there are going to be more investments in rookies. But for redraft, it's very difficult right now. First of all, uh, it, it warms my heart for people who don't know you. You hate college football. So to hear you rattle off Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, all those guys, it just my heart just melted right there. Um, so let me ask you, though, real quick. So how do you – I mean, is this a year where – and let's just stick with redraft. For people who don't know, redraft is essentially where every year you have a new team. Dynasty is a little bit of a different deal. Let's just stick with redraft. I mean, 
is this a year to just avoid those rookies? And then can you afford to, considering that this was considered to be one of the best wide receiver classes ever? Obviously, as a college football fan, I loved watching Jerry Judy at Alabama, Henry Ruggs at Alabama, uh, C.D. Lamb at, at Oklahoma. I mean, is this just a year that you stay away from rookies or do you just have to evaluate that much closer? Yeah, you just have to evaluate closer. You can't stay away, right? And one thing, and this is a general strategy, really important for anybody who's playing in any type of format. You can't be eliminating any players from your board off of biases, personal biases, right? Like I'm saying it's going to be difficult to evaluate rookies. That's true. But I'm not going to strike these guys from my rankings just off of that. You have to be in your specific draft. You have to read the flow of the way the players are coming out. And you have to decide, am I getting the right price point? I'll give you an example. Like CEH is going in the first round now. Uh, because Damian Williams opted out of the season for the Chiefs. Is that too high for a rookie running back? For me, it is, right? I, I know I can get a safer pick there uh, in the first round, so that's a spot where it feels like a reach. But then again, you get guys that you're waiting on a little bit later, like a guy, Antonio Gibson, with the Redskins. Darius Geis was cut by the Redskins. Gibson's not going anywhere near the first round. He's going way later on. Now you're getting the right, the right price point on a rookie. So it all depends on where they fall in the draft, uh, with the wide receivers, I'm with you. I like Jerry Judy. I feel like a lot of guys like Cortland Sutton this year with the Broncos. I feel like Judy's going to cut into his work. I mean, watching the film and watching his tape, he's an all-around savage. The guy's just a machine. Um, so I like Judy in the rookie class. Another guy that a lot of people are talking about is Justin Jefferson. Um, and he's on a little bit of shaky ground right now because B.C. Johnson is a young wide receiver with the Vikings. is getting some hype this week out of camp. So uh, keep an eye on that situation because you know you got Adam Thielen as the number one for the Vikings, and then you have B.C. Johnson and Justin Jefferson competing for that number two spot. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of mix and match, and it's going to be based on that draft and that moment. Are you getting the right price point? Think about business 101 in these spots. Well, and I remember, you know, years ago I played with you and some other guys that we're close with. And the other thing, too, was, you know, guys drafting guys off their own teams. I mean, how much for people that are either new to fantasy or whatever, I mean, is it almost like you have to over-evaluate your own guys to make sure that there isn't a personal bias? Like, you know, you're a Jets fan, so maybe it's not as big of a deal since, you know, I don't, I don't know if they could win the SEC this year. But, um, you know, like, like that's got to be an issue, too, right? I see you smiling over there. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing with the Jets this year, which is interesting, it's a good team to, to pull up in this instance, is normally I'm the same way as you, AT. I count the Jets out. I'm a Jets fan, and I'm like, F the Jets, man. I'm not getting any value out of this team. Fantasy, forget it. But this year's a different story because right now Denzel Mims is out, another rookie we're talking about here. Josh Dotson opted out of the season altogether. He was the number four for the Jets. The guy they replaced him with, Vincent Smith, who was a guy who played down the stretch for the Jets last year and played well, he's also out five to eight weeks. So now you're actually looking at the Jets wide receivers and you're saying, you know what? All the targets are going to Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perryman. So now you took a situation where uh, we don't want to touch the Jets. And now we're saying, wait a minute, we might have to reevaluate based on the flow of the injuries. So I actually like those two wide receivers because they don't go that early. So you're looking at Jamison Crowder and Perryman matching up with the young quarterback, Sammy Darnold. And so that kind of plays into something I want to ask you, and then I'm, there's going to be a follow-up with it. But how do you evaluate a guy who maybe wasn't good last year because of circumstances out of his control um, and what it could mean this year? And so I'll give you an example. So I think about what happened with the Browns, right, is that disastrous season for everybody involved, all that stuff. And obviously I would assume uh, not only Baker Mayfield's draft stock goes down, but Odell Beckham's, Jarvis Landry's, whatever – 
Um, how do you evaluate those guys knowing that there's a new coaching staff? You know, Baker's kind of reined in a lot of that stuff because I would just think that, you know, it'd be easy to just write off, say, somebody like Odell. And, and I don't even know if this is a good example or not, but it'd be easy to write somebody off like that and just say, oh, I watched last year. It was a disaster where maybe he's almost a little bit undervalued right now because of how bad they were last year relative to how much better they could be this year. Yeah, you know what, Aaron? I got to tell you, this this particular field of people in this fantasy football world are very sharp, and they they will not buy into last year's narrative and put that into their rankings for this year. So, as a matter of fact, with Baker, the people are saying, you know what? He had a down year. He's destined to bounce back. That's been the narrative in the fantasy football circle with Baker. I think he's going a little higher than he should, to be honest, because I still think they're going to be a run-heavy team. You know what I mean? But uh, as far as those wide receivers go, and that team is a good example. Uh, Beckham right now could be a hot stock because Jarvis Landry started off on the PUP list. Um, he's back now practicing, but this is a guy who has no history of being injured at all. So now it's like on the radar. You're like, oh, Jarvis Landry actually got hurt for once. Maybe it's going to come back. So he, that actually boosts a guy like Odell because he could end up being that runaway wide receiver one for that team. Um, I'm not too interested in any of the Browns just because it's a little bit jumbled. There's a lot of bodies there. Nick Chubb already picked up a concussion right away in practice. So you got to keep that in mind. And uh, Kareem Hunt's a guy who's been really hot in fantasy circles. People talking about him nonstop all offseason. I think he goes maybe a little bit too early before when he should. So the Browns are a sticky situation and a good team to look at in terms of it's, it's shady, right? It's a little gray, that whole area with that team. Is there one team or, uh, you know, like, like, right, I mean, and I think this goes into how we – evaluate teams coming into the season, right? A team like the Browns gets so much buzz. A team like uh, whoever, the, the Bucks get so much buzz because of Tom Brady. The 49ers coming off a Super Bowl. The Rams are on hard knocks. Is there a specific team where they have two, three guys that it's like, dude, if this team, you know, like, like nobody's paying attention. Like in the same way that we talk about, nobody's talking about this team. Is there a team or a group of teams with guys that are like, dude, nobody's talking about these guys, but they could break out? Yeah, I think it's all over the AFC, Aaron, right? Because if you look out in the NFC, it's super crowded, right? So it really, if you want to break down the conferences in the league right now, in the NFC, maybe you could throw out the Redskins and say they're not a contender. You could throw out the Panthers with Bridgewater quarterback, no defense whatsoever, right? And you could probably throw out the Giants because they're probably the worst defensive team in the NFL. Other than that, you have a number of contenders there. That leaves 13 teams that can make the playoffs realistically in the NFC. So you don't have anybody you can really jump on there because it's jumbled. In the AFC, it's totally different. In the AFC, it's the Chiefs and the Ravens, and then everybody else is a hodgepodge, right? So the type of team that you might be looking at where some guys are going to emerge that you weren't expecting is the Raiders, right? The Raiders are a little bit off the grid. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr, people don't realize he's a, a guy that people like to make fun of, had one of the best statistical seasons of his career last year. Nobody realizes that. You have Josh Jacobs at running back, and they drafted two rookies. We've been talking rookies uh, tonight so far, and that's Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs and, and Renfro, the rookie from last year in the slot. So they got some weapons. Uh, they're a team that could qualify for a late playoff spot. And, of course, Darren Waller at the tight end position is one of the top five. So I think the Raiders have some of those guys to watch. Dude, we uh, have a ton of Kentucky fans that listen. You can't not mention Lynn Bowden, the wide receiver, I think fourth or fifth round pick. That kid, I'll say this, dude. I know you don't watch college football, but this dude was a wide receiver. He was the team's best wide receiver. It was like straight out of high school football. They just – they 
their top three quarterbacks all got hurt. They move him to quarterback. He's running the ball about 40 times a game, breaking off big runs, and he's like 5'10". He's fast as hell. But I, I'm just – I'm not even a fantasy guy, and I'm just telling you, you, the fantasy expert, do not sleep on him. That's all I'm saying. All right, I won't sleep on him, but I will tell you it's kind of interesting because I think they were planning on using him like a hybrid player like Gibson, like Antonio Gibson we talked about before. Um, also like a Taysom Hill with the New Orleans Saints, sure. the third quarterback who can also do it all. So that was kind of the plan for him. But it's really interesting. This week they signed Theo Riddick, who is another oh. like receiving type back. Um, not that he's a great player, but he's that type of role. And they also have Jalen Richard who's also that type of role. So it's gotten really crowded with those mix and match guys with the Raiders. But yeah, I mean, obviously in terms of long-term investment for the team, you're going to be way more interested in Bowden than you would be in those two scrappy guys. So, okay. So, you know, again, not a huge fantasy guy, but it seems pretty consensus. Those top two, three guys are McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers, Saquon Barkley from the Giants. Uh, is there a guy outside of, say, the top five that you just feel like is completely undervalued and should be going higher? And when I say higher, I mean, like, very high in the draft, not like a second-round guy that should be in the first round, but a guy that's going, like, 10 to 15 that should be going top five. Yeah, you know, I like Aaron Jones because people, like I said earlier, people are really sophisticated in this world, in this fantasy football world. So they believe that Aaron Jones was just too good last year. That's the narrative on him. It's like, the guy was too good. He can't do it again. That's, that's <laughs> the story. <laughs> so, kind of so, yeah. yeah so, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I go by what I watch. And I watch so many Packers games. Shout out to my father-in-law. He's a big Packers fan. So, I watch with him. I sure. watched Aaron Jones play the entire season. This guy was lights out dominant, right? I mean, he did it in, in uh, drips and drabs because some games he had three touchdowns. You know what I mean? So, the fantasy owners got frustrated that it wasn't every single game. But I'm just saying, watch this guy run downhill. He's a truck. People get out of his way. He's quick. He can go laterally. He can go up the middle. He can go down the sideline. He can receive it out of the backfield. So he's dropping into the late second round, whereas mm -hmm. I still think he's a late first round value. Um, and it's just because of that, oh, he can't do it again narrative, which to me I think is kind of nonsense. Is there a guy that's going really high that you think is going too high this season? Yeah, you know, there's a few. They just make me nervous because I just don't know exactly what the role is going to be in terms of being a dominant type player, right? So you got, again, CEH is going in the first round now. Um, I just don't know enough. Um, they signed DeAndre Washington as well at running back. Um, they also have Darwin Thompson, so they're going to mix and match guys. They're going to uh, try to give you some different looks offensively. So I'm not sure about CEH as a first-round pick. Um, Miles Sanders has a lower body injury, um, also a sophomore, and they have a guy named Boston Scott there who's also going to cut into his work. And Kenyon Drake is another one. This is a guy every year we hear about how electric this runner is and what he can do, and then he gives you half a good year, and you say, oh, I believe in that, that good half, and I don't believe in the bad half. So uh, I'm worried because he also goes in the first round as well. So those three guys just make me nervous. Not that they can't do it. I just don't feel like they're on sturdy ground for the way I like to select guys. So dumb question. I, I probably should have led with this, but um, I'm guessing, you know, back when I played, it, it was a lot of those versatile Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott type guys that are the kind of, uh, you know, the, the face of your fantasy team, if you will, like in terms of versatile catch, run, uh, yards, like all that stuff. Those are still the guys that you should be targeting at the top of the draft, right? Yeah. I mean, at the running back position, you're looking for guys that do both, right? You, you really don't want it to be a one-trick pony. Now, I'm also a proponent of not ignoring those guys. I got to tell you, AT, a lot of guys now are playing full-point PPR, 
right? So back in the old days when you and I were playing together, there was a lot of standard, which means there's no points for reception. You just play everything straight up. Now guys are playing a lot of full point PPR. That's like the way that everyone does it. With that being said, you want your running backs to also be receivers because that's how you're piling up those counting stats. You know what I mean? So you certainly want to have those receiving backs. But at the same time, right, it's again, it's about value point. So there are guys like Derrick Henry who doesn't receive a lot of passes, but the guy's a monster. It doesn't matter. He's going to make it up in touchdowns. He's going to make it up in rushing yards. So you shouldn't be ignoring these guys that are great rushers. But the question is when you're in a fringe spot and you're deciding between two guys at the running back position, you should be taking that guy who can also get you the receptions. A popular guy this year is Austin Eckler uh, from the Chargers. He's a, a top receiving back at this point. Very good. Um, how about the quarterback position? I mean, you and I were talking off air. It seems as though the more versatile dual threat guys, maybe a Kyler Murray, you know, whoever. I'm, you know, Lamar Jackson's obviously the name that immediately comes to mind. Those are the guys that, that you should be targeting at the quarterback spot? Yeah, early on in the drafts this year, there's no doubt it's those dual threats, right? Actually, Mahomes is going first at quarterback. He's going ahead of Jackson. But they're one, two, and that's kind of the cutoff right? That's their, that's their own little duo and everybody's a step behind. Sure. Now you might be interested to know that Dak Prescott usually goes right up there. Guy threw for 4,800 yards last year. Sure. Um, and he also, yeah. He also can rush. So he's up there. Uh, Kyler Murray, as you said, he's going in the top five, no doubt at the quarterback position. Then you got Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and then even a guy like Josh Allen, who everybody makes fun of for his passing. But then again, you look up and the guy's got 500 rushing yards and five rushing TVs. It's like having a guy that plays two positions. So, yeah, at the top of the chart, you're taking those guys that can do both. In the second tier, you're taking those traditional passing quarterbacks who you know can get it done through the air, you know, Breeze, Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, um, Matt Stafford, those type of guys. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about Tom Brady. I was thinking about him from a fantasy perspective today of, you know, you look back at that Patriots team that he played on last year. I mean, obviously early in the year they had Antonio Brown, they had Josh Gordon. By the end of the year, I mean, the weapons were like comically awful. Uh, how do you balance uh, how do you balance like, oh, he's 42 years old, but he also has maybe the best skill position talent that he's ever had at any point in his life? Right. It's a good question. The way you have to balance it is by looking at where he's drafted on average. Right. So maybe about a month ago, he was going at about the quarterback 14. I felt wow. like he was a little bit undervalued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was surprising. Um, so now he's actually moved up. AT. So you're, you're spot on. People are starting to pick on and pick up the fact that he was going too low. So now he's moved up to the quarterback 10, which I think is probably about right. His high point, if I look at the chart, is probably number seven, right? So you go Mahomes, Jackson, Prescott, Wilson, Watson, Murray. The highest Brady can finish is seventh because he's not giving you any rushing yards. The worst it could be if his offensive line struggles, which is a possibility with the Bucs, is he could be around 17, 18, or 19. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think now he's moved up to an appropriate spot. Earlier on, he was probably going a little bit too late, and people are getting smart now. Very good. Everybody loves the, the sleepers, so give me a few sleepers. I mean, if you want to go position by position, whether you go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, whatever you want to do, however you want to take it, but give us all a few sleepers to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you two or three at every position. I'll go from the top. I mean, at quarterback, Gardner Minshew is definitely a sleeper because he's got a lot of moxie. Um, you know, it's a guy who was a six-round pick. He comes in with a lot of confidence. He believes in what he can do. Uh, the Jaguars are going to be playing from behind, so we love that in fantasy, right? It's a lot of I was going to say that, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, and also, he gets a lot of rushing yards. 
So I have him projected for 428 rushing yards. Last year he had almost 300 and didn't play a full complement wow. of games. So, yeah, so that, that's definitely one of the guys at the quarterback position. You know what? People hate Phillip Rivers this year. So, I mean, AT, you know. I mean, back in the days when you played, if you had Phillip Rivers and it was garbage time, somehow you looked up and he had 350 sure. yards and three touchdowns at the end of the game. Of so, yeah, so I think Phillip he's actually going as the quarterback 25. Teddy wow. Bridgewater is going yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's certainly got – Cam Newton's going before him, but we don't even know if Cam Newton's the starting quarterback. He may that's not crazy. even be. So, yeah. So really, I, let me guys. jump in. Is that just because, I mean, I know he really struggled specifically with turnovers last year. Is that why he's going so low? Uh, yeah, I think and, – and I keep hearing this dead arm. Uh, everyone's saying, oh, he's got a dead arm. Like, have you watched Phillip Rivers play in his whole career? When did he have a strong arm? The guy, the guy's gonna run like shit. Like, I don't, I don't believe this narrative. Oh, his arm is dead. Every ball he's ever thrown has been floating, but you know what? It floats right in the guy's freaking hands. So you know, I'm, I'm gonna stick with Philip Rivers, especially at that point, because you're talking about the last round. So you, you, even if he sucks, it doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt you at all. So I, I like Rivers as a sleeper there, at quarterback. Um, you know, moving over to running back, I, I figure if you're drafting in the first 30 running backs, they're not really sleepers. So it's got to be outside of that group. You got to like James White and PPR with the Patriots, right? This is a team that they might be dumping off either way. Because if they go with Newton, he's just not what he used to be, passing out of the pocket. And also we know that he likes to dump off to McCaffrey with the yep. Panthers. So you got to like James White there. Um, he's definitely one of those guys. I'm a little bit further down, right? If you're going down into like the 40s and 50s, there's that guy Gibson we talked about earlier and Boston Scott. I like both of those guys. Um, and then I like Chase Edmonds with the Cardinals. And this kind of connects to the earlier narrative about Kenyon Drake. They're on the same team with the Cardinals. If Drake flops again, if he has a couple of good games and the rest, meh, Edmonds is a guy that's explosive. He can really break it uh, and take it downfield and give you like a 40, 50 yard run with electric finishing ability. So I like Edmonds there at the running back position. Um, and then, you know, wide receivers so deep, right? And this is a, for this type of show, Aaron, and for your audience to know, this is a year where you should be opening up most of your drafts with running backs in both of the first two rounds okay. because it gets really thin. It gets really thin. Um, so, yeah. So, you want to go running back, running back, or the other options, you want to go running back and then top, top tight end in the second round. That would be oh. Travis or George Kittle. Yeah. Any, any questions you had about that? Why tight end? Well, because after the top five, it's, it drops off a cliff. So, okay. So, Top five is Travis Kelsey and Kittle one and two. Kind of like we talked about with the quarterbacks, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are one and two. Then there's a drop-off. But that top five also includes a tight end, Zach Ertz, Darren Waller, and Mark Andrews from sure. the Baltimore Ravens. Of course. So that's, that's the cutoff. So if you can get those top two guys in the second round, now you're not worried about tight end the rest of the draft, and you can go 85 deep at wide receiver. So there's no yeah. reason to even take a wide receiver that early. So that's really interesting. So, so running back and tight end are thin positions. So focus on them. Even if you love a Michael Thomas, uh, whoever, uh, there's, you can get 80% of that production in the third, fourth, fifth round, but you can't get the same from the tight end or running back. That's right. The, the tight end position after number five is literally from six to 20. I feel like you can go any which way. So that makes for, you know, if you want to wait and you want to get that guy who's closer to 18 to 20 later on, that makes a little bit of sense because they're replacement level players and you're not spending a lot on the draft. But if you're going to grab those six through 15 guys, you may end up with a real flop and you're overpaying for them. You know what I mean? So it's all about that price point. But yeah, sleepers at wide receiver. I still like John Brown with the, with the Bills. He's going 46th at wide receiver. 
He established nice chemistry with Josh Allen last year, had over 1,000 yards. Um, so I like him. He's going 46. I like Crowder, who we talked about before. I like Golden Tate with the Giants because after he returned from suspension, uh, Danny Dimes took a liking to him. He, it was the guy he was deferring to as a veteran. So Danny like Dimes, you're hanging around too many Giants fans out there in New York, man. Danny Dimes, <laughs> get the hell out of here with Danny Dimes. He's gonna well, be, it's gonna be Danny back up next year when the Giants get the first pick and take Trevor Lawrence. But neither here nor there. Continue. Well, no, I want, I want to ask you since it's, it's an important topic and you're more experienced in college than me. What's your take on Danny Dimes long term? You think you think that's it? He's just gonna drop off after a couple of years, and it was gonna be like that was nothing. Well, listen, I mean, I think anyone who follows college football, he's already exceeded expectations because, you know, when that whole conversation started and, uh, you know, for people who don't know, you do live in New York. Uh, you know, I'm friends with a lot of your friends, a lot of Giants fans in your peer group. And, like, I think there are even text messages from that night over, like, who the hell is this guy? And, you know, I will give uh, Gettleman credit. In hindsight, you know, the move was, oh, you got to take Dwayne Haskins. Well, there's plenty of questions about Dwayne Haskins right now. Um, listen, I'll be honest. I mean, I remember watching uh, Dan Daniel Jones early in the season last year when he took over, and he was better than I thought. Uh, without having thought about it very much over the last couple months, I seem to remember him being, like, not as good after the first couple weeks. I would add this. You know who I've never been a fan of? is your quarterback, Sam Darnold. I've never bought the hype. Now, I will say I did buy the Baker hype, so maybe neither of them ends up being very good. I don't buy the Sam Darnold hype. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because whoever so, – listen, somebody's going to end up with the number one pick, and I think it's going to be really hard for anyone uh, to turn down the chance to draft Trevor Lawrence, even if you have a half-decent quarterback that's been playing well. So maybe you trade out of that pick and you get a haul. But I, I'm just telling you, I've never been a Sam Darnold guy. Yeah, you know, the thing with Sam Darnold, and, and you know me, AT, I'm probably harder on my teams, quote-unquote, than anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm actually against my teams, I think, at this point, and the Jets being one of them. Um, the thing about Sammy is – when you watch him play when he's on, you're pretty convinced he's one of the best players in the NFL. But the problem is, how the hell do you even know when that's going to be? Yeah. He literally is on and off from set to set. Like, he, he can have three downs where he looks like he's never played football before. Oh, yeah. And then the next day, he looks like Tom Brady in his prime. You know what I mean? So how do, you, how do you clock that? How do you manage that as you go forward? I do think a lot of it is going to come down to the coaching and the offensive line. right? So you, you do like that Joe Douglas reset the whole offensive line. Um, uh, Adam Gaze, I mean, the guy can't even look straight. He's looking sideways. No, like, I mean, <laughs> what are you gonna? He's the biggest joke on Twitter. Like, you, you literally can't say Adam Gaze without somebody jumping down your throat. So, I think that that's going to be an issue is can he really bring him along and get him to be consistent? I mean, AT, what do you know about Gaze and your history with him? What are your thoughts on him? Um, you're gonna laugh at this, but I was out on Adam Gaze with the story of the fact that his wife went into labor and he made like the quick pit stop, like gave her a kiss on the cheek and then went back to the office. Like, dude, like, like, I, like I'm not even trying to be funny, but I was like, dude, this is a guy that has like no self-awareness. And I just think there are certain guys that are like, they're like, they're really sharp guys, but they shouldn't be in a leadership role as a head coach. And I think he'll probably bounce back to being a very successful coordinator some there from there, but it's clear that the guys in the locker room don't respect him. I know on the way out, Jamal Adams said some things and he was trying to get traded. So who knows how much of it was true and how much wasn't, 
But, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, like you said, in press conferences, he's weird. In whatever, he's weird. And it's just like you could just tell, like, he's just not a guy that's going to get in front of grown men and have, like, their pulse. And, like, I'll give you an example. And I'm, I don't mean to make light of this because – Obviously, it was a very serious story this week, but like Ron Rivera, right? Like, unfortunately, if people don't know, diagnosed with cancer, like, I'm not trying to be like sarcastic, but like, you can just tell when he got to Washington, he immediately had respect from ownership, from the front office, from the players. And even on his way out of Carolina, it was just like, we love this guy. We'll go to war for him. We're so sorry it didn't work out. We feel responsible. And it's like, that's a dude guys are going to go to war for. And I just don't think Adam Gase has that kind of like personality where guys are just like, just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's actually a really interesting conversation in general. Uh, like the only way you can get away with being a guy like Adam Gase is if you are that quote unquote genius like Bill Belichick, yeah. right? If you prove that what you're doing and maybe you keep a distance from the players like Gaze is known for keeping a distance, but if you prove that all the shit that you're doing is working, like it, everyone's gonna buy in like they have with the Patriots. If you're doing this and the team's going seven and nine and they're thinking, well, I could go seven and nine with a guy that I like, what the hell yep. should I play for Adam Gaze for? That's a big problem, right? And I'll give you a good example. Like Ron, Ron Rivera is a great example. Another guy is Rex Ryan with the Jets. Yeah. The guy had no X's and O's other than the defense. He was a coordinator. He wasn't a head coach. Yeah. But the freaking guys liked him. They liked his personality. He was behind them no matter what they did. He was pumping guys full of confidence. And you can get by just, just on that by being a general that your guys want to play for. And the only way that Gaze is going to get out of that hole is if the door is open right now in the AFC East. Right, it's a wide open division at this point. Brady's gone, Gronk is gone. The Bills, we we feel like they might be the favorite, but who the hell knows with the Bills? The Dolphins are at the bottom of the division. Um, it's open this year, so the only way Gaze saves his own ass is if he goes ten and six, he goes eleven and five, and the players say, you know what, I don't like him, but we're winning games, so I'm going to buy in. Otherwise, he's done. Yeah, no, there's a parallel in college football that I talk about on this show sometimes is that Nick Saban now, he's the Bill Belichick of college football where all his assistants are getting head coaching jobs. And Nick Saban's kind of a, an a-hole to the media. And like, and I say it on this show all the time is like, dude, you can get away with that if you're Nick Saban. The problem is all those other assistant coaches bring that mentality to their next job as a head coach. And it just wears people so thin. Like, you know, Will Muschamp was his longtime coordinator who's at South Carolina now. The fans can't stand him. The media won't have his back because he's an a-hole. Um, and he's not winning. Uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia, they've had a ton of success. But it's like, you know, they can't get over the hump. And the fans are losing patience because they don't like him because he's a pain in the ass to deal with. And so we see that parallel on the college level as well. And, and no, I agree, man. And I just think – I just think it's a fascinating – listen, I'll say this is I don't cover a lot of NFL on this show, but hosting a national radio show, I follow – I love the narratives of the NFL. And obviously, look, it goes without saying, I follow college football. I, I know these guys from their time in college, and so I do follow, and I always find this stuff really interesting. Uh, anything we haven't hit on, anything that fans need to know, uh, either about fantasy or, you know, it could be a little nugget like you just dropped with the Jets of, like – Dude, be careful because, you know, the teams may have quit. Whatever you think people haven't hit on, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I want to at least throw people a couple of tight ends that they can look for a little bit later on because yeah, we haven't really – you're going to talk tight ends, is Gronk like – is that like a real thing this year or is it just you got to stay away because he's overvalued because of his name brand? Exactly. He's, he's way overvalued. He's going way high. Let me pull up my latest rankings. I had him just here. Um, he's going sixth in redraft at tight end. 
I mean, it's, it, to me, that's absurd. Sure. But, but listen to the list here, right? The guy had a year off, so that we don't know. That could go either way. It could help him, could hurt him. Uh, it's a new team with a new system, right? They have another tight end there, an O.J. Howard, who can play football. The guy's a good athlete. Um, Tom Brady's going to bring him along. I can guarantee you that because Tom likes his skills. He already said the guy's a good athlete. So here's the situation. Play it out. The Bucks are doing okay. They're winning some games. Arians is a good coach. Everything's going well. They know they're going to make the playoffs. Gronk stubs his toe. Is he going to freaking play? No one's, they're not going to play him. Any t- any t- oh, he broke a fingernail. That's it. He's not playing. We got O.J. Howard. We're going to make the playoffs anyway. So you got to think about that when you talk about fantasy. You're going to take him sixth at tight end when there's no freaking way he's going to play 16 games. I was going to say, and he's just injury prone in general. It doesn't take, uh, you know, a minor injury for him to hit the sidelines. I mean, he's had multiple back surgeries. I mean, like there's a reason that he retired two years ago. I mean, I'm sure some of it was Belichick since he wanted to come back and play with Brady, but I mean, I mean, I don't know this off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up, but I think like something crazy, like three of the last four years he was in the league, he played nowhere close to 16 games. That is correct. Yeah, he's basically like the J.J. Watt of the tight end position. Interesting, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not – he's a name. He's a name brand. People like his personality. They're like the same guy kind of when you think about it. Sure. Um, but then, yeah, you, you have a guy like Gronk going sixth at tight end. Meanwhile, you can get Blake Jarwin from the Cowboys at 18th, who is now alone as the only tight end on a high-powered offense because Jason Witten moved over and kind of a leadership tight end role with the Raiders, right? So Jarwin's got a wide open – wide open looks at the tight end position. Uh, and then you have Mike Gesicki. From the Dolphins, the Dolphins had two wide receivers who opted out. That's Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns. So with those two guys opting out, now you have only two receivers over there. That's Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. And then you got that main number one tight end in Mike Gesicki. He's going 15th at tight end. So you have Gesicki at 15, Jarwin at 18. You have Jack Doyle, who's the only starter for the Colts now. Eric Ebron is gone. Uh, a guy like Rivers might like a veteran tight end like Jack Doyle. Uh, he's going 19th. You got Greg Olson. He's going 21st with the Seahawks. Uh, Chris Herndon with my Jets. Again, back to that situation. There's nobody there to get targets. It's just Jamison Crowder, and it's just Rashad Perryman. So Chris Herndon's going 23rd in redraft. So these are all guys that could do, uh, comparably do as well as Gronk in the season or better, and they're going way later, and you could wait till the end of the draft. So, yeah, that, that's a little bit of context on the, on the tight end position. Very good. Last question. I mean, how much of your stuff comes Sunday night, Monday night after games? I mean, how, how do you value or how do you balance, you know, hey, this guy had uh, 27 carries for 145 yards. Well, that's probably an extreme example, but you get the point of the balance of this guy had a really good, a really good week, but is this a guy that I'm going to drop to pick up? Because again, it, it's all circumstantial. Yeah, it's a really good question. And AT, it's really important to keep in mind that they're going to be extended, uh, expanded rosters this year. So you have more bench spots. You have COVID spots. So you're going to have an opportunity to stash more guys than you normally would because that's exactly the type of sticky situation that makes a problem in a normal year is, oh, I have this guy in week one or week two who did really well, but I don't think he has a lot of value long term. Do I drop him to pick up a hot pickup who I think has a better long term? You know what I mean? So you, you have to judge that in a normal year. This year, because you got the extra space, it may go the other way. You may have a couple of guys that do well the first couple of weeks. In another year, you wouldn't pick them up because you say it's too early. I'm not going to jump the gun. Now you pick them up because you're like, oh, I have all these extra spots. I got the COVID spots. I got the bench spots. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to grab this guy. I'm going to stash him. Maybe he blows up in a major way for the whole season. I'll give you a quick few examples from last year. Terry McLaurin had a big year for the Redskins. He was an early year pickup. 
DJ Chark had a big year with the Jaguars. Marquise Brown with the Ravens, who's their number one wide receiver. These mm-hmm. are guys that people were like, eh, I don't know if it's going to work. Maybe I'll wait one more week. Meanwhile, they're gone. A.J. Mm-hmm. Brown, another example with the Titans. This year, knowing you got a longer bench, they're going to snatch those guys. They're going to keep them, and they're going to blow up. Some of those guys are going to blow up for you. So it changes the whole strategy, having a deep bench and having the extra COVID spots. So dumb question, because of expanded rosters in the NFL, we're having expanded rosters in fantasy. That's what you're saying? Yeah, there's, there's going to be more. Yeah, so that that's a big change this year. Is a lot of and there's a lot of commissioner talk too. If you go on fantasy Twitter or if you're online looking at a lot of the sites, people are saying, "What do I do as a commissioner? How many COVID spots do I put? How many bench spots do I put?" At the end of the day, what you're looking at in that situation is, are you making enough spots to cover in case an entire team, like say you 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 have a guy who drafted three four guys from the same team and they all get COVID, are you giving that guy enough cushion to fill the roster? You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So you got to look at that. And then you also have to look at, are you putting too many spots to when you go and look at the waiver wire, you're looking at John Frisella and Aaron Torres and you're like, I don't want to pick these freaking scraps up. So sure. you, it has to be enough that there are decent players left on the wire. Interesting. All right. He is John Frisella, host of the John Frisella podcast. Uh, you host it with a gentleman named Wes. I don't know Wes's name. Otherwise I'd give him a quick shout out too. I don't know his last name, but you guys do a good job. Uh, and of course he is on Twitter at, Legend Seven, Legend Sports Seven, uh, John, dude, it was fun, man. Listen, I, I don't know when I'm gonna have you on again because I don't really talk fantasy like that. But people should be hitting you up, uh, and maybe we'll do it again. I don't know. We'll see where the year takes us. I mean, listen, knock on wood, I'm not positive we're getting college football just yet. I, I think we're there. I we're like 95% of the way to the finish line, but I might have to. I might become a fantasy guru myself on the fly here. So. I appreciate you doing this, and, and I hope we can uh, do it again soon. And I hope people certainly – I don't hope. I know people should be following you both on Twitter and listening to your podcast, man. I appreciate you doing this. AT, thanks a lot for having me on the show. If I have a quick second here, I just want to say you've been a great ambassador for college football. I know a lot of people have been reaching out to you, and it means a lot. You, you've been bringing positivity this whole time that you're not going to give up on the season, and people are listening and they're taking note. Um, I hope it works out for you and also for the whole – entire league and all the conferences um i hope it it works out in a positive way if it doesn't you know we're gonna do our thing man we're gonna do some nfl we're gonna do some nba whatever we got to do so i i hope to be back to talk nfl or even if we talk college and prospects next year for fantasy whatever it is hope to see you again my friend yeah well all i'll say really quick is you know and, and people that listen to this show who know me know I'm not pushing for college football because of my livelihood. I'll be fine. You know, I've said it many times. I'm a chameleon. I'll figure out a way I always do. But I I just, and I've said it for for weeks, is that one, you know, I know you probably don't follow it day to day, but the logic behind the canceling of the season, specifically from the Big Ten, never made sense. And two, I just feel bad for the players. I do. You know, I was saying earlier on the show that I, I talked to, Uh, the parent that's leading these parent protests this weekend and uh, his son's going to be a first round NFL pick and his son doesn't need college football but there's a lot of kids that are on the fence that you'll get to know in the next couple years in this fantasy world uh, that do need this season and that can't wait until the spring there's kids behind them on the depth chart that we're planning on next year that spot would be open which opens my avenue to the NFL and so there's long-term ramifications for these kids. There's long-term ramifications for these communities. I just mentioned this on this show, John, before you came on. I was talking to a restaurant owner in one of these Big Ten towns. He caters, check this out, two meals a week 
for one of these football teams, I won't name the school, his restaurant brings in $8,000 of revenue a week from two catered meals for the football team. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to make it till January. So these are real life things. And, you know, I, you know, for people that have maybe never heard of me that are tuning in just to hear me listen to you, I'm fighting for college football for these kids, for these families. I'll be okay, but I know everybody's not so lucky. So I hope that makes sense. And I, I hope I get college football for, for some selfish reasons, but from some non-selfish ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really a mess the way it trickles down to the whole community. Um, it's certainly something we're going to have to watch every single day now to keep an eye on. And uh, we just feel terrible for so many people that are involved in this. Not only that, AT, from, from an, uh, a personnel perspective and a player perspective, we got to talk about eventually in the future what happens if it's only a partial season or we don't get to see a lot of tape on these guys. What's going to happen when these NFL GMs have to evaluate players well, of course. Year who aren't the runaway guys? Right? What happens uh, rounds three through six? You know what I mean? It, it could be totally jumbled. So that's something to keep an eye on as we go forward. Um, again, I'm John Frisella. I'm at Legend Sports 7. Happy to be here with AT, and I hope to be back again. Absolutely. John Frisella, just mentioned it. Check out his podcast. Follow him on Twitter. Appreciate it. We will do this again soon, my man.